Almighty God, who through your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant us who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection to be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. During the season of Lent, I've been saying and emphasizing the importance of our own blood. Blood is one of those things, like, like oxygen, it's necessary for life. We protect our blood, and sometimes we give our blood. On Good Friday, we hosted a Red Cross blood drive. The Red Cross counted would count us as a success if we collected 20 units of blood. And our community, not just our church, but our whole community together, we collected 39 units, 50% of which were brand new donors. And that success, almost double of what the success level is, that's with uh, reductions because of the COVID-19 virus. We had less uh, units able to be collected, and we couldn't accept walk-ins because of COVID-19, and yet we still nearly doubled what the success rate is. So we give thanks to God for that. You know, Red Cross tells us that our blood can each save one person's life. But when we talk about Jesus' blood, we realize Jesus' blood saves the world. Jesus bled from his body, and his blood should leave a mark on me. Something more than a stigmata. Over the course of Lent, we've seen that Jesus sweat blood, and that mark on me is that I can have the will to obey God. Jesus wore a crown of thorns, and that mark on me is that I acknowledge Jesus as King. Jesus was scourged, and that mark on me is healing from my sin and punishment. Jesus' hands were pierced, and that mark on me is reconciliation in relationships. Jesus' side was pierced with a pilum spear, and that mark on me is I am restored to full humanity. All the previous marks of Jesus' blood on my life are great, but without the final one, I'm left without hope. That final one is Jesus' feet were pierced, and that mark on me is I have assurance of resurrection. See, the scriptures tell us that Jesus' resurrection is not just a spiritual event. It's a physical, it's a bodily event. One archaeological find that we have is from the Roman era is an ankle bone with a crucifixion nail stuck through it. So we know from forensic tests that the nails went through the wrists, and we know from now from archaeology that the feet nails actually went through the ankles. 
If you've ever sprained or broken your ankle, you know how difficult it is to walk with an injury. Could you imagine having a nail through your ankle? You know, all the gospel writers do take the time to show us the humanity of Jesus describing what position his body is in at various times. During the life of Jesus, they mention that Jesus knelt, that Jesus slept, that he reclined, he ate, he slept, he stood up, he sat down, and that he was crucified, that he died and was buried. And after the resurrection, we have these same clues that Jesus was bodily alive. And Luke has three of these clues himself. On that day, Jesus walked with the disciples to Emmaus. Jesus reclines to eat with these two disciples. And at the end of the day, Jesus is standing among the disciples. Walking, reclining, and standing are things that living people do. One reason... I believe in the resurrection is because of Jesus' feet. I know that sounds funny, but our passage from Luke 24 is actually a very humorous resurrection story. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 27 of Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked, What is this dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a powerful prophet in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. First thing we see is Jesus walks. He doesn't just walk, he walks and talks. The two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to this village of Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk. And while they're doing so, they're discussing the life and death and possible resurrection of Jesus. They're arguing and debating about what does this all mean? 
Could Jesus truly be the Messiah if he's dead? Could Jesus actually be raised from the dead? Because so far the only reports that these two disciples had were that the women couldn't find Jesus' body. And they had a vision of angels that told them Jesus was alive. These guys didn't even know that at least Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus. So they're debating all this. And at some point on the journey, Jesus walks up and joins them. And he asks what they're talking about. They, of course, fill Jesus in on everything that they know. Stuff Jesus already knows because he was there. But Jesus listens. And then he says to them that they already have all the information that they need to figure this out. And he begins to explain to them how all the predictions from Moses through all the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. So they're walking and they're talking. Jesus is on his feet, giving them the good news of resurrection. And also, in my imagination, Jesus is at least a little bit of an animated speaker. So his hands might be occasionally visible. You know, is Jesus really alive here? You know, horror movies have changed a lot since I was a kid. You know, zombies, the walking dead, they used to always walk slowly. But modern zombies in horror movies, they're fast. They have speed to make them more of a threat. You know, but fast or slow, they still look like corpses. They don't talk. They kind of limp around. But here's Jesus. He just looks like a man. These guys aren't scared. He's walking along with them. Jesus on his own after torture, after execution by crucifixion, after certified death, after a burial. Jesus is not scaring anyone. He's not trying to eat brains. He's simply walking and talking. Now, Jesus doesn't need to eat brains because in this story, he's the smartest person in the conversation. There's only one conclusion for this. Jesus must be alive. But is it really Jesus? I mean, they don't recognize him. Let's continue. Luke 24, starting in verse 28. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he broke the bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So Jesus walked and talked, and now Jesus reclines. They get to Emmaus, and Jesus acts like he's just going to keep walking. But the two disciples invite him to dinner instead. At dinner, as the customs of the time are, they recline at the table. They're laying down, maybe lean on their elbows. And Jesus blessed and breaks the bread, and he gives it to them. Now, these two disciples 
were most likely at the Passover supper with Jesus a few days ago. So this is definitely triggering memory. But I think it's something more than just memory going on here. Because Jesus' body is important in this narrative. He broke the bread, so again they have the chance to see his hands and wrists. He's reclining. So maybe as they saw his hands, his wrists, they start looking down his body, and now they can get a good look at his feet. Jesus is flashing a little ankle. It's when they recognize the body that they recognize Jesus. They hadn't seen him before because they hadn't been looking. They had been debating Jesus, not looking for Jesus. It's then at this dinner that they should, they realized they should have recognized him all while he was speaking. They said, wasn't he illuminating, lighting up our hearts, our inner selves? Wasn't he illuminating our minds while he was talking? That's what Jesus does. But they hadn't been looking for a living Jesus. They were debating whether or not it was possible that Jesus was alive. But instead, they should have been looking for an alive Jesus who was walking, talking, and reclining. You know, I have two daughters, ages 9 and 2, and when I send them to go look for something, they are very quick to say, I can't find it. It doesn't matter what it is, the piece of paper for me, their shoes, a toy they need to pick up. You know, as gently as I can, I instruct them to stop talking, stop assuming it's not there, and go see what is oftentimes right in front of them. You know, Jesus, on his own, after torture, execution by crucifixion, a certified death, a burial, now he is reclining to eat and doing something very humorous. There's only one conclusion for this. Jesus must be alive. And if Jesus is alive, then I have hope for resurrection. Finishing up in Luke 24, starting verse 31 again. It says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what happened on the road and how he made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Peace to you. But as they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost, Why are you troubled? he asked them. And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The last thing, Jesus now stands. 
Now, three times in the Gospel of John, John points out Jesus standing after the resurrection. And usually Jesus' first words are peace. In our Luke narrative, Jesus disappears after the two disciples recognize him. And think about this. They've just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's dinner time, but they immediately get up and they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem to go find the other disciples. They find the 11 remaining apostles and the other disciples that are there. These guys are probably tired and sweaty. They've just had a 14-mile walk. They find out that Simon Peter has seen Jesus. And even though they're tired and sweaty, they tell the other disciples everything that happened with them along the road and at the, at the dinner. That they saw and spent time walking and talking and reclining with Jesus. And it's then that all the disciples notice that Jesus is already standing in the room with them. And Jesus is not described as sweaty or tired. And he says, peace. They're all freaking out. I thought Jesus was in Emmaus. I thought Jesus was in a tomb. Dead. How is he standing right here? Is he a ghost? He's not a ghost. See, I think verse 39 is the key to understanding all the humor and the part of the lesson of this passage. Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Jesus' hands and feet, you know, technically his wrists and his ankles, were where the nail marks would be. Jesus had been walking and talking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus for maybe seven miles, and they hadn't recognized him. Then as he reclined to eat, breaking the bread with his hands, maybe they saw the nail scars. And then maybe their eyes moved down his body to Jesus' feet. And maybe Jesus let his robe hike up just enough to show him a little ankle. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And Jesus is saying now in this room where he is standing, I gave you guys every hint I could and it took you forever to see me. He's standing. Dead people don't stand up. Dead people may be propped up. Dead people may lay in state. Dead bodies may be embalmed and made like a statue, but they don't stand. See, the thing is, when we're not looking for Jesus, we can't see him even when he's right in front of us. Showing me his hands and his feet. But when I'm looking for Jesus, he's everywhere. Jesus on his own, after torture, after execution by crucifixion, a certified death, a burial, is now standing. There's only one conclusion for this. Jesus must be alive. And since Jesus is alive, I will live. You know, we're in this time of pandemic and quarantine. We're all looking for hope. 
We're all looking for assurance. Everyone's looking for life. I'm here to tell you today the way, the truth, and the life is right in front of us, longing for us to open our eyes. Romans 10:15 How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. The mark of Jesus' blood on my life is that I am assured of resurrection. Let's pray. From, from Psalm 118, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let his people say, His faithful love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. Open the gates of righteousness for me, and I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. If you today want to take the time, take the moment to see Jesus for the first time, and accept in faith his life, I invite you to do so today. And just say simply this, and believe with your innermost being, Jesus is Lord, you died and you rose again, taking the punishment that I deserve so that I can live. And now I want to live with you as Lord of my life. It's just a belief of faith. I encourage you to take it today and receive the good news of the walking, talking, reclining, standing Jesus who is alive.